hard-hitting medical truth, cutting through conflict and confusion to the understanding you're searching for. Join Dr. Peter McCullough, world-renowned medical expert and practicing physician for this edition of the McCullough Report. Your life may depend on it. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. Welcome to the show this week. I wanted to kick off with uh, just a brief musical interlude. This was passed to me by one of our group members. Uh, We're working together in a group called C19 across the world and uh, working towards uh, driving uh, information and truth about COVID-19, not only to other scientists and hospitals and doctors, but also to the public. And we work so hard with multiple updates per day. But this uh, song that was recently put together by Van Morrison and Eric Clapton was a pass to me. And I just thought I'd play it and, uh, and have you have a listen. The uh, person who sent it to me thought that uh, it was relevant to, to the COVID-19 pandemic and our crisis response. It's called Stand and Deliver.
flogging a dead horse You wanna be your own driver Or keep on flogging a dead horse Do you wanna make it better Or do you wanna make it worse Stand and deliver You let them put the fear on you Not a word of it is true Ain't that nothing you can say Stand and deliver. Boy, if there isn't a better call for action for scientists uh, right now, uh, there was a disturbing paper that just came out in the, it was a featured article in Nature. And uh, Nature is a scientific journal, but it also has a real popular media, well done media presence. And this was in the Nature October 14th issue volume. Uh, 598, and the author is uh, Bianca Nogredi, and the title of the paper is Scientists Under Attack. Dozens of researchers tell nature they have received death threats or threats to their physical or sexual violence uh, after speaking out about COVID-19. And it lists uh, scientist after scientist who has uh, expressed concerns about COVID-19 or given uh, their analyses of what's going on uh, in the pandemic, which they're entitled to do. Every scientist who is uh, COVID-19 in their scope of interest has the right to do that. And uh, this is, a, I think, an insightful uh, article that gives some uh, survey here. And uh, they had 321 respondents to a survey. And this is in one of the figures. And I can tell you is nearly 60% had attacks on credibility uh, over 40% had emotional or psychological stress, 30% had reputational damage, uh, uh, over 20% had threats or physical violence, 15% uh, shockingly had death threats, uh, a small number, about 5% physical threats. Uh, this is extraordinary. Uh, I can tell you as someone who, uh, as you know, I'm vocal in the COVID-19 pandemic, and I've been asked to have my opinions expressed in uh, the U.S. Senate, the Texas Senate, South Carolina Senate, Vermont Senate, and then the Colorado uh, House of Commons. Uh, you know, these are sworn testimonies. These are uh, very high-level activities where governments ask doctors to give their opinions, to give their analysis under oath, and to be um, in the crosshairs now from these negative, uh, this negative wave against a scientist, and no one seems to understand exactly where this is coming from. Some of the uh, threats are from within their own fields, uh, within, let's say, medicine, where 
the hubris right now is to only offer vaccination for individuals as the only response to the pandemic, offering fundamentally no opportunities for outpatient treatment, no opportunities for avoiding the uh, infection in any other way, <clears throat> and certainly no opportunities for uh, deferring on the vaccine and taking one's own individual choice. So that song by Van Morrison, Eric Clapton, really had to, it's returning to some concepts regarding freedom and almost slavery, taking us back hundreds of years now in our um, overall culture in mankind and all over the world with respect to when, what are we doing to ourselves? Uh, I think that really is, um, uh, you know, that's up for a debate. Now, in the second figure in the Nogrity paper, uh, there was a question, how much has your experiences with trolls and personal attacks affected your willingness to speak in the media and in the future? Now, 90% said uh, sometimes, 48% uh, said usually, and over 30% said always. So this uh, chilling effect that these threats on scientists have, uh, have, re have received uh, really is palpable. And it's changing the narrative because if we don't have fair balance in the discussion, and if these threats uh, come out and uh, continue to, um, to uh, be emboldened, that individuals who are trying to uh, give their intellectual content on COVID-19, whether it be in the media or even just in the peer-reviewed literature. That's our backstop. It's always fair in, in medicine and science to publish a paper in the peer-reviewed literature and have it vetted, have it reviewed, and then get published uh, and let it be a debate. You know, debate and um, discussion and interchange is the lifeblood of science. If we have a a one-way narrative, it's extremely unlikely we're going to get on the right track, no matter what it is. And so we always work in groups. We always have uh, roundtable discussions. And roundtable is a very important word. A roundtable means no one's at the head of the table. No one is in charge. We need to have that. In fact, it's almost been completely squelched at this point in time. And many of you listening know that, and you are going out yourselves to in a sense, seek information, seek new viewpoints, and, and get practical information about what you can do during the pandemic. So along those lines, a programming note, uh, Malcolm Out Loud has done a series of uh, wonderful question and answer sessions where the questions come in from you. He organizes them according to topic, and then he reviews them with me. And I've encouraged him to, uh, in the team fashion, also pick others to uh, give their answers so you get a broad set of responses on the prevention, uh, the treatment, management of COVID-19, and then also on some uh, special uh, uh, topics of interest, including uh, vaccine mandates and then exemptions to vaccine mandates. So I wanted to update you uh, at the end of this week, uh, we've had a flurry of activity in Texas. As many of you know, I'm based in Dallas, Texas, and Governor Abbott, issued an executive order that banned uh, vaccine mandates by any entity, both public and private. Back in April, there was an executive order that banned vaccine mandates, vaccine discrimination, recognized natural immunity. Uh, that was all in April of 2021. 
And now in uh, October of 2021, we had this executive order come through, but it, it spurred a special session. And what occurred in the special session to date from my uh, informants is that the original executive order, it put into special session for uh, a legislative vote, did not go anywhere. But what came up was uh, State Bill 51. And State Bill 51 basically said that if an entity has a vaccine mandate, that they must honor exemptions. And if they have a fair exemption policy, uh, religious and medical exemptions, and if the uh, employee or the student or the person of interest has gone through the effort of completing exemptions and has a closely held religious belief that uh, the vaccine violates uh, that tenant or that internal belief, and largely it has to do with the injection of something that is likely to cause harm into one's body that violates almost every uh, religion on earth. Uh, that, that, that belief is expressed and signed uh, and or a medical exemption is, uh, is sought and achieved and it gets a signature from a licensed medical professional that those exemptions must be honored and cannot be trampled upon or denied or some employers right now are simply saying they're not accepting exemptions and that this is fundamentally a mandate like that Van Morrison, Eric Clapton song. This is a, a form of uh, forced uh, uh, harm put on uh, someone uh, for the sake of uh, exerting pressure, control, uh, having the ability of uh, forcing reprisal, that if, if someone refuses it to lose their job. However this came into people's minds, it's in other people's minds that this isn't fair this isn't right, it shouldn't be happening. And we're seeing this struggle now in some courts, in some houses of legislation at the state level. Uh, countries are expressing some discord. This is one of the most interesting global struggles that I think uh, has ever come up in recent world history and everything around it as uh, we've had a viral pandemic uh, from a lab in Wuhan, China. Everyone is so familiar. It spreads across the globe. It crosses great fear, suffering, uh, loneliness, isolation, hospitalization, and death. It sweeps through. Uh, we have great uh, confusion and discord regarding how to treat it. Then there's a formulation for a vaccine approach, and then an institution of what I call lockstep, Everything goes into lockstep for a vaccine, and that vaccine is going to save humanity, and everybody must take it. And then it starts unraveling from there, that people don't want to take it, that the vaccine looks like it's not going to save humanity. The vaccines are all different. They're not a single product. They have differential efficacy and safety, as any drug or vaccine would have. No vaccine is perfect, and no drug is perfect. But the narrative that the vaccines are perfect and that they will save everyone and they do offer this universal answer and it's so good for everyone that everyone should take them that that narrative is crumbling and certainly has crumbled to the point where we have overwhelming data that not only are the vaccines not the savior of mankind in, in fact they are not sufficiently safe for use in everyone that great numbers of individuals have been harmed 
and they're clearly not effective in everyone. And there are wonderful examples now supporting the idea that the vaccines may actually may not work at all with the Delta variant. So that's where we are at this point in time. I'll keep you updated on these critical uh, events. One of the things that um, I've had conversations with multiple attorneys on, we have millions of attorneys in the United States, and they've largely been on the sidelines because they can't figure out which way this is going to go. Like any person in business, attorneys want to make money. And I think as soon as they sense money, they're going to be in the game with respect to COVID-19. And uh, anything from restrictions of civil liberties to um, uh, vaccine mandates and uh, oppression, as well as uh, civil cases in medical malpractice. Uh, But to date, uh, the lawyers had largely been absent. There's maybe a few dozen lawyers out there, and there's some notable ones. I, I think that deserve mention. One is Mr. Tom Rents out of Ohio, who was the lead attorney who filed the whistleblower lawsuit uh, regarding the deaths after the COVID-19 vaccine, and he had a, a whistleblower uh, contractor for Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services who had the data on when individuals were vaccinated and when they died, and it was compelling that In fact, it was happening in large numbers. Another one is Ralph Lorigo. Ralph Lorigo is an attorney who uh, has developed notoriety in uh, taking cases to court uh, and getting court orders, pressing hospitals to administer ivermectin after the families have exhausted all their efforts in negotiating with the hospital doctors, the administrators, the chief of staff, in lo- with loved ones who are suffering of COVID-19 who deserve a chance of ivermectin, as they would if they were in Mexico or if they were in Asia or Japan, where it's used first line, uh, and where the hospitals have, have had a strict policy of not giving a single milligram of ivermectin for COVID-19 while they would uh, clearly use it for scabies or strongyloides or other infections. So Ralph Lorigo has developed uh, a real reputation of winning these cases and either having the hospitals administer ivermectin, have an independent physician come in and administer ivermectin, and certainly families have done everything they possibly can, including self-administration of ivermectin and other drugs. And I think on these hospital cases, probably the single most important thing to do is to uh, push for full-dose aspirin and full-dose anticoagulation. That means a milligram per kilogram of anoxaparin or lovenox or intravenous heparin, and in more stable cases, oral novel anticoagulants. And they go by the names of Pixaban or Eliquis, by Xeralto or uh, Rivaroxaban, and then Dabigatran or Pradexa. It's very important that we get patients on blood thinners because the reason why the oxygen is going down is a degree of microthrombosis in the lungs. Every autopsy I'm aware of, of acute COVID-19 that's died, where the cause of death is attributed to COVID-19, what's found is micro blood clots in the lungs. And that means it's far too late for remdesivir, for tozolizumab, that even the effect of steroids like decadron or Cyamedrol is going to be limited, that barcetinimib is going to be limited. And so what we need is full-dose anticoagulation as early as possible. And that's the reason why I'm pushing anticoagulation in our seniors and others as an outpatient. By the time the oxygen uh, concentration and saturation is dropping, there is microthrombosis in the lungs. This is a very, very important principle. So I wanted to go over that with you and, and have you understand 
that we uh, are working from a physician perspective, a scientist perspective, a lot of people in support positions, epidemiologists, statisticians. Uh, there are scientists that work in toxicology that have made great contributions uh, in this field, none of whom are subscribed by any governments or panels. They are working independently. They're working tirelessly. They are working in groups. And then we clearly have the clinicians. We have the physicians and a few physician groups uh, to look at are uh, the American Frontline Doctors, uh, the Frontline Critical Care Consortium. Uh, I give those groups uh, tremendous uh, credit. There are some blended organizations that are involve physicians, but then also patient advocates and those in the social sciences. And one that I'm involved with as the chief medical advisor is the Truth for Health Foundation. The Truth for Health Foundation is a faith-based organization led by Dr. Lee Vleet, and you can find them at truthforhealth.org. They have a lot of resources. They have one of the more valuable resources, which is the Home Patient Treatment Guide, and they have uh, a tremendous amount of information about vaccine safety uh, mandates, and they're a faith-based group. Uh, some people have asked me, Dr. McCullough, how can I get involved in COVID-19? I can't sit on the sidelines anymore. Uh, I tell them to volunteer for one of these organizations. Truth for Health is a wonderful opportunity to volunteer your time and your advocacy. There's a lot of need out there and almost all the work is done virtually. And then there are organizations that specifically are oriented towards nurses. Uh, you know, there is a block of nurses who are losing their jobs because of these ill-advised vaccine mandates. Uh, they have worked tirelessly through the pandemic. They feel burned more than anyone since they sacrificed their health, their family's health, uh, and, and uh, worked tirelessly. Many of them had very little time off during the pandemic, during these surges, uh, and, and they have developed immunity in many cases uh, because they've had COVID-19, they have natural immunity. So we know they can't get COVID-19 a second time. We know the vaccine is directly harmful in them, that they can't take the vaccine. And many of the nurses uh, are uh, young women who are looking to have their families or are pregnant. They know they can't take the vaccine. And finally, there are both men and women who absolutely positively can't take the vaccine because they um, have severe allergies to polyethylene glycol and some of the other components in the COVID-19 vaccine. So they are basically handcuffed. Uh, and now they've been uh, uh, handed a uh, notice of termination. They've lost their jobs. And you can see uh, the despair, the anger, the frustration, and they want to be active. So one organization I was introduced to recently is Americans Frontline Nurses. And I met uh, several of these nurses and they serve a wonderful purpose. And they are going to be uh, my referral for the next uh, person who reaches out to me with a loved one in the hospital. And I get these emails almost every day. Dr. McCullough, I have a friend or a family member in the hospital. They're desperate. They're fighting not to go on the ventilator. Uh, they uh, feel like they're not receiving good care, that doctors and nurses are not coming in the room. Uh, they aren't receiving uh, the drugs that, <clears throat> that they know could make a difference. Aspirin, full-dose anticoagulation, uh, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, drugs used in combination, and uh, they're languishing in the hospital. Can you do anything? Uh, what I've learned is American Frontline Nurses, uh, they have a network of patient advocates and they start to get active with the nurses, with the hospital administration, 
They start pushing the dialogue. They start arranging the meetings with uh, hospital ethics, chief of staff, uh, etc. Where it's so hard as a patient uh, advocate or family member on your own to start to move the needle against uh, this giant monstrosity of the healthcare system, particularly when you have a sick person in the hospital. There's different doctors every day. They're not available to talk. They're not responsive. And so I'm going to make a a case for American frontline nurses to to help you. And please consider that as opposed to reaching out to myself or uh, uh, others. There are several doctors that are clearly in the media. And so we're clearly uh, visible to you. And I can tell you, uh, certainly myself, Dr. Pierre Corey, Dr. Paul Merrick, Dr. Harvey Risch, John Littell, I can go through a list. I, I imagine each one of us is receiving 500 to 1,000 emails a day. We're trying to answer them. We know the nation's desperate. But please use these websites and use these uh, contact points. It's, it'll be much more effective for you as you're uh, trying to get information or you're trying to advocate for the health of a loved one. So uh, I wanted to give you uh, that information. So those are hopefully are some helpful words for you, uh, words of advice and practical uh, points that you can use uh, in your daily life to help your friends and family members. So let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. I want to give you an update on Healthy Cell Focus and Recall Supplement. This is important. I'm about ready to take one now. It's the morning. I am in a flurry of activities. I have to get this report filed with America Out Loud Talk Radio. And these are gel-based vitamin supplements. Focus and Recall has uh, six major domains. First is Focus and Neurotransmitters with L-threonine, glycine, and L-tyrosine. Recall Mental Speed and Rapid Learning, alpha-lipoic acid, and phosphatidylserine. Brain Flow and Support, curcumin and taurine, green coffee bean extract, brain cell, oxidative, uh, anti-oxidative activity, lutein, black pepper, uh, fruit and extract, and lastly, cognitive fuel, brain energy, omega-3, 6, and 9, MCT oil, vitamin B6, and B12. Now, is it proven that these can improve uh, your memory and make a significant uh, impact in your overall mental function? I have to tell you, that's really up to you to give it a try But I can tell you right now, I am not going to gamble without taking a healthy cell today. These are wonderful products. There's no downside to them. Go to HealthyCell.com and put in the promotional box out loud to get 20% off your next purchase of healthy cell products. So let's get real. Let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. While the cancel culture is determined to destroy our history, bringing violence and terror to city streets, America Out Loud will enhance its own message of love and honor for the American traditions and constitutional values that have always been the backbone of what America means. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. America Out Loud Talk Radio liberty and justice for all.
Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. I wanted to pick up on the other side of the program the issue of the vaccinated uh, contracting COVID-19 and carrying COVID-19. And I wanted to give you a brief clip of an interview uh, given by Dr. Robert Malone, who was one of the developers of the messenger RNA uh, vaccine technology, uh, particularly the lipid nanoparticle delivery uh, and how the messenger RNA works to produce uh, an antigen, a pre- uh, in this case, a spike protein. And this interview is uh, called uh, THD episode 43, Speaking Truth to Power, a conversation with Robert Malone. And this is embedded on the uh, Children's Health Defense website uh, that just released a uh, written version of the interview. And it deals practically with the issue that we have since so many people have taken the vaccine. We know 60% of Americans have taken the vaccine, 80% of those over 65. Let's go ahead and listen to uh, a, a brief insert from this, uh, uh, from this interview. Uh, that's that's the, the, the unfortunate truth of the matter. The other thing I just kind of wanted to um, share with your listeners, here in the States, you know, we're all we're all subjected to this mandate, uh, you know, basically take the jab or lose your job, to be blunt. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you kind of think that through, so walk walk this road with me just for a minute. If you think that through, what they're saying is, well, if you take the jab, the logic here is if you take the jab, then you won't get infected and you won't spread it to your coworkers. But I've just told you that the, the vaccine does not protect you very well from infection. Right. And if you are infected, you replicate the virus at about the same or higher levels than the person who didn't take the jab. Okay. So you have as much or more virus as the person that's unvaccinated, and you have at least the same probability of infecting somebody else. So the logic that if you have a workplace where everybody's taking the jab, you're not going to have virus spread, that's false. Totally. Okay? That's just flat out, you know, if, if you're being told that, you're being lied to, and just know it when you hear it. Um, the, the thing, here's the kind of the... The, the thing that folks haven't really thought through, and there's a whole lot of this doesn't make sense in this whole space, mm-hmm. but um, I remember I told you that if you take the jab and you get infected, even with Delta, you have less severe disease. In other words, you don't feel so sick. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Remember when we say death or hospitalization, that's way out on the extreme. You know, there's a lot of other people that got infected that didn't end up in the hospital or dead, right? Right. And so presumably they have less serious symptoms. Okay, so let's think about those. Let's imagine the guy in your workplace, your fellow worker, and he's had the jab, and uh, his son or whoever brings home the virus, and he gets infected. At this point... He's not going to have much symptoms. He's going to say to himself, you know, he's going to get infected. He's going to be producing virus. And he's going to say, hey, I can go to work today. I don't need to take a pay cut. You know, I don't have to do that. Boss wants me at work. I feel pretty good. Why don't I go into work? But he's going to be spreading virus like crazy. Right. He's still producing virus just because he feels pretty good. 
So remember back at the start of the outbreak, we were talking about super spreaders? Right, yes. That means that the vaccinated that get infected are basically going to be super spreaders because they're going to be walking around society, going shopping, getting their gas, everything else, going to work because they feel fine. Mm-hmm. You know, they feel pretty good, but they're producing a ton of virus. So a case can be made. This is flipping the script a little bit. I know you've all heard we're at horrible danger because of all the unvaccinated. Oh, every day. Well, man. if you think about that, that makes no sense at all. No, that makes no sense <laughs> at all. Because if you've taken the jab and the jab is worth a tinker's dam um, and somebody else comes in that hasn't taken the jab and is infected, you should be protected, right? That makes sense. So, um, you know, you shouldn't, if you've taken the jab, you shouldn't be too worried about the unvaccinated. However, the unvaccinated, they got a problem because the vaccinated that are infected are walking around feeling just fine, shedding virus like crazy. Right. So what we really got to do is protect the unvaccinated from the from vaccinated. The vaccinated. <laughs> uh, that's <laughs> right. Okay. And and here's the other the other wrinkle, the other fly in this ointment. Okay, is that the big the big ugly, the 800 pound gorilla in the room. Uh-huh. Okay, is viral evolution to escape the vaccine. Okay. okay. These viruses are evolving so that they're able to escape the vaccine pressure. This is standard Darwinian, you know, evolution. Just like you know, I'm sure everybody knows that if you take a bunch of cows and you put them in a feed lot, you feed them with uh, antibiotics all the time, eventually you're going to get antibiotic resistant bacteria. All right. Same thing. Okay. Okay. So it the vaccinated are actually selecting since there's are leaky vaccines, that's a technical term. It actually is. Uh, they're leaky because they don't protect you very well from getting infected. And if you get infected, it replicates in your body and you can still spread it. So that's the definition of a leaky vaccine. And because these are so leaky, it means that the vaccinated that get infected are selecting for virus variants that are more resistant to vaccination. Okay, so the 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 honest truth of it is, you're getting all of this press and you know New York Times and CNN and blah blah blah, and and you're you're reading in your local paper, oh, it's the vaccinated, the unvaccinated people are so bad, um, they're putting us all at risk. Uh, you know, we ought to put them in prison camps or not treat them when they come to the hospital because they've been so naughty by not taking the jab. The truth is that the people that are putting us at most risk right now are the vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just the way it is. Uh, they're, they're feeling okay. They're walking around, they're shedding virus. If they're infected, they're in your workplace. Your boss doesn't know, you know, they're not necessarily coughing all the time, uh, but they're still producing a ton of virus in their nose and their mouth. So every time they have a chat with you or, or you shake hands or whatever, you're, you're at the same risk as if they were unvaccinated and infected. So you can see that the vaccine mandates and this idea of having universal vaccination is going to backfire. Dr. Malone has the data and he's right. The vaccines are simply not good enough to mandate. Uh, They are starting to look very much like a flu shot. A flu shot is not good enough to mandate because it doesn't have enough efficacy. Now, I took a flu shot myself 
uh, in the last few weeks because, uh, you know, it's a requirement for my job and uh, it's possible that I could encounter an elderly person in the emergency room or on the hospital ward and they could cough and give me influenza. So to take some protection is reasonable. But I read the package insert of the influenza shot, the one that I took, and at the lower bound of the confidence interval on protection, it's as low as 17% protection. That's not very much. Now, you may ask, well, why did you take the flu shot? I said, I took it because I know it's safe, that it's extremely rare that anybody would have any problems. And in fact, I took it. I had a minimal uh, sore arm for probably half a day, and I'm fine. But it's very different with the COVID-19 vaccines with uh, the thousands of deaths that have occurred, hundreds of thousands of people in the hospital, over 20,000 people permanently disabled. This is night and day difference, the safety profile between an influenza vaccine and a COVID-19 vaccine. The frustration among our media colleagues is extreme. Now, some people in the media pretty clearly understand that the vaccine program is going bad and they can see it. Others can't. Others are promoting the vaccine at all costs, uh, whether they can't see that the vaccine program is faltering or whether or not they're influenced by other factors where they feel as if they must keep a certain narrative. They clearly are putting people at risk. But I had a chance to um, review this with uh, media commentator and announcer uh, Dan Ball on Real America on October 12th, and I want you to uh, listen in. Here's Dan Ball and myself on Real America. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll get this. Everything, of course, is the same, is bigger and better in Texas, right? And I say this because unlike the governor that we're stuck dealing with here in California, <clears throat> you know, pretty boy, I'm a patsy for the extreme left, Gavin Newsom, Governor Abbott in Texas is actually fighting for folks' freedoms down there. Governor Abbott tweeting out, I issued an executive order prohibiting vaccine mandates by any entity in Texas. I also added the issue to the special session agenda. The COVID-19 vaccine is safe, effective, and our best defense against the virus, but should always remain voluntary and never forced. Now, I don't agree with everything about that because huh, the science is still out on that vax, but I'm glad he's sticking up for Americans' Texans' rights to choose. The executive order includes prohibiting private businesses from mandating any vaccine for their employees, regardless of size, unlike what Joe Joe Biden wants for this country. Let's stay with COVID, shall we? Get this one. Pfizer is going to begin a one-year study. This is so insane. A one-year study to vaccinate an entire city. It's called Toledo in Brazil. Pfizer will work with Brazil's national vaccination program and vaccinate all residents 12 years of age and up in Toledo, Brazil. Out of the city's 143,000 residents, 98% have already received one dose and 56% are fully vaxxed. The one-year study aims to monitor the long-term effects of the vaccine. Wait, what? Shouldn't you do that before we take a vaccine? Shouldn't that have already been done? Oh, that's right. We rushed it to market and you want us all to take it. We'll get to that in a minute with our next guest. Speaking of COVID, the liberal rag not worth wiping my can with, the New York Times I'm talking about, incorrectly reported multiple things. We know this. But one of them, the number of kids hospitalized because of COVID. They said it was thousands upon thousands. Liars. The paper issued a correction in this article entitled, A New Vaccine Strategy for Children, Just One Dose, for now. 
The correction in the article reads, an earlier version of this article incorrectly described action taken by regulators in Sweden and Denmark. They have halted use of the Moderna vaccine in children. They have not begun offering single doses. The article also misstated the number of COVID hospitalizations in the U.S. in children. It is more than 63,000 from August 2020 to October 2021, not 900,000 since the beginning of the pandemic. I don't need to read any more of that crap. Let's bring our next guest on. They lie to you every day. And they call themselves journalists. Whew. Makes my heart hurt. Here now to discuss the latest on all things COVID, our friend to this program, cardiologist, internist, and the host of the McCullough Report, Dr. Peter McCullough. Doc, welcome back. How you been? Thanks for having me. I'm great. Of course. Well, you're one of our go-to experts. So I, I read these articles. I'm sure you heard them before you came on. My first one is, we're going to do a year study with an entire city in Brazil. Doesn't that show the American people or anybody around the world that this thing wasn't ready to go to market yet? We're going for an entire year to see what the long-term effects are. I'm sorry, but that's why it should be an option and not a mandate because I don't want to put something in my body, Doc, that we don't know what the long-term effects are. Why are we doing a study now? It's because the original randomized trials are obsolete. The first set of randomized trials were done with the original uh, Wuhan wild-type virus yeah. and then the alpha and beta, but now it's a whole new game with Delta. And so we need randomized registrational trials. Uh, we don't need to take a whole city, but we need multi-center randomized trials with Delta because the vaccines basically weren't coded against that variant. Yeah. And okay, so let me clarify. Every year, if you do get a flu shot, that's a new flu shot because they have to find out what the new strain is, right? Each year. Is that how flu shots work or am I wrong? But no, that's called antigenic drift, Dan. And what that means is that influenza is so sufficiently known, uh, scientists can study how it's drifting antigenically uh, with some changes, very, very uh, slow to change uh, what's called uh, epitopes on the virus. With Delta, it's responding to the vaccine. So as the vaccines mm. come out, the Delta variant has learned to thrive among the vaccinated. Wow. Right. So again, you've been on the show before, your belief and a lot of docs I've had on this program say they think that some of these new variants like Delta could be coming from the vaccinated or at least because of the vaccine, because this is a smart one, which to me, again, proves it's not natural, but man-made because it's smart enough to deviate and go around this vaccine and create new variants so that the vaccine doesn't work on them, right? Again, looks well, like it's man-made to me. Well, Delta has, already, has always been there in the background with other variants. What happened was, is that the, once we got to 25% vaccinated, good data from Arcevito in South America and then Neeson of, from Mayo Clinic in, in Boston showed that the uh, configuration of the vaccines allowed the Delta variant to become hyper-dominant. Now we have 99% Delta is thriving among the vaccinated. The Wisconsin Department of Public Health in a paper by Rimerisma, and then another paper from University of California, Davis, by Archerian et al., show that the vaccinated can have very high viral loads, similar to that as the, un, of the unvaccinated. Mm -hmm. And in Wisconsin paper, they showed that they were equally as infectious when they took samples of the Delta variant from the vaccinated. Wow. They're equally as infectious. Doc, I got to ask something for the parents out there. Is this shot right now safe for our kids? We've already seen myocarditis in teens and young 20-year-olds. Is this safe for the 13 and under or any kids? I don't care what the age is. The best analysis to point to is by Tracy Hogadal from the University of California, Davis, recently came out and it was summarized in the February 17th FDA 
meaning on boosters. And what Hoag showed is that a child who gets the COVID-19 vaccine is more likely to be hospitalized with myocarditis than be hospitalized with COVID-19. Boom. 80% of the kids who get myocarditis end up in the hospital. COVID-19 oh. is very treatable and, and individuals can avoid the hospital with prompt treat, treatment in the case of severe symptoms. That's all I needed to hear, Doc, and that's what parents want to hear. I mean, come on, people are scared. They want to know, do I give this to my kid? It's going to hurt them long term. Right there, that, that sells it for me. Um, 10, 20 seconds left, but I got to ask this quick because a lot of people have been asking me. Ask the doc, what's in this new Merck pill? Is it similar to like taking something like ivermectin? People want to know what's in this pill. They're trying to rush to market from Merck. What's this pill that could fight COVID? It's a single polymerase inhibitor, very similar to Favipiravir used in Russia and Japan. It looks like it's going to be modestly effective, not nearly as good as hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. Boom! I love it. Direct, right to the point, answer the questions, keep it real and facts. Doc, thank you so much, Dr. Peter McCullough. Always welcome on this program. Now go get back to work. <laughs> well, you heard it there. Dan told me to get back to work, and uh, I'll do that. But we have a situation where some of the media uh, individuals really do understand what's going on. They understand that there's some type of uh, narrative here that is greatly misleading the public. And they are working very hard to get <clears throat> other uh, sources of information. You notice how I quote the data. Uh, I'm not rendering an opinion. I'm simply quoting the data and everybody can go to these published papers and see the analyses themselves. So I hope this segment was uh, useful to you. We've got a wonderful show today, and I have a single guest, but she's a special. It's Dr. Katerina, she goes by Kat, Katerina Lindley. And she is a doctor who is originally uh, from a communist country. She grew up there as a child, but was uh, fortunate enough to go to college and medical school in the United States. And she has been a leader in medical organizations, physician organizations, uh, that have really uh, put physicians' viewpoints in the public view from a political perspective, and it does need to happen. You know, physicians and lawyers are the most educated and the most prominent of professionals in society uh, in so many respects, and are also under great scrutiny that both physicians and attorneys, in my view, and in Dr. Lindley's view, have to be active, have to be politically active, and get their points across uh, to leadership in the nation, and also let them know what they're going to do as a profession. So we'll welcome her to the show, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is The McCullough Report. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races. You toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM Sleep. 
go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. I have a special guest I'm inviting to the show today, Dr. Katerina Lindley. Dr. Lindley um, is, was born in uh, Croatia, former Yugoslavia. She was raised there, came to the United States at age 18. She attended Florida Atlantic University for her undergraduate degree, and then went on to attend medical school at the Nova Southeastern Medical School in uh, Florida. And then she went to uh, Palmetto Hospital in Miami for her family practice residency. We are lucky to have her uh, come to Texas and establish her family practice, which has a terrific reputation west of Fort Worth in Texas. She's developed uh, really a statewide representation uh, in her and recognized for her leadership here in Texas. And I've asked her to the show to give us some commentary on some breaking news. Dr. Lindley, welcome to the Color Report. Thank you for having me today. Can you let the listeners know uh, your involvement right now in medical leadership and the the, in a sense, the, the medical uh, establishment and how it relates to politics? So I'm past president of Florida. Uh, I'm sorry. Actually, well, I was part of Florida leadership as well, but I'm past president of Texas Family uh, Medicine uh, Organization for Osteopathic Family Physicians. I'm also president-elect for Texas Osteopathic Medical Association and president-elect of Texas American Academy of Physicians and Surgeons. I've been involved in um, state uh, and mostly federal legislative efforts when it comes to uh, medicine, healthcare, access to healthcare transparency, and most recently, direct primary care. So the news we had yesterday is Governor Greg Abbott announced a, a proposal to ban all vaccine mandates for uh, both uh, public and private businesses in Texas. And so this was a giant announcement. Uh, The news is buzzing. Uh, That was announced October 11th of 2021. What's your initial analysis and commentary? Um, So you mentioned I come from uh, Yugoslavia, which was a communist country when I grew up. And um, as a young kid and adult, I didn't have a choice. I had to do what, uh, you know, the leadership of the country wanted. And I always felt that these mandates go against American freedom. I applaud uh, the governor for lifting the mandates because patients who, for some reason, want to have a vaccine are high risk and they discuss it with their physician. They have the liberty and freedom to do that. But the ones who don't want that, I think they need to have the same exact liberty and freedom so I think this is a right step for all of Texans. Do you think it'll be broadly supported by the uh, Texas legislature? I hope it would, because if any state in this country stands for liberty and freedom, it is Texas. And, uh, um, you know, no one talks about informed consent when it comes to vaccines. But my question always is, is uh, the consumer aware what they're consenting and either really consenting or are they being coerced to get a vaccine? Because I, you know, I have five children. My children are vaccinated for every childhood illness. I am vaccinated as well for every illness that we have to be vaccinated for. I just feel that we all have that 
innate right to know what we're doing and we should be given a choice. The current consent forms have not been changed. Uh, there was some false news that came out of the August 23rd meeting that Pfizer was fully approved. And in fact, Americans know it wasn't approved because the consent forms never changed. The consent forms for Pfizer still indicate it's under emergency use authorization and there's no package insert. So there's no product insert giving important safety information to Americans. And all the consent forms I looked at either use the word investigational or use the word research. So a mandate creates an odd situation where someone uh, could be forced to take the vaccine, but then they get the consent form and the consent form says it's elective and that the, the person's participating in research. What's your reaction? I think, you know, this has been really um, an attack on uh, on people's choice and personal choice. And uh, another thing that I'm very upset about is every vaccine we ever had, for example, you know, when, when they started with chickenpox vaccine, when I went to medical school, the first thing they did is draw my antibodies to see if I needed one. And with this um, illness, we don't even recognize that most of us have had the disease and have the antibodies and our immunity is a lot stronger than any vaccine they have on the market. And all the studies show that. So for Texas to lead in this one field of liberty and choice, I think it's extremely important. And I'm proud to be a Texan today. Um, every one of us understands what liberty means for all of us. And we should have a choice to do what we want with our bodies. Well, like you, I, I came to Texas as a young person. I uh, went to Baylor University undergraduate. Baylor is the oldest university in Texas and, in fact, was formed during the period of time where Texas was its own country. There had been six flags that had flown over Texas, and one of them for 10 years was the Republic of Texas. And many people know Texas for its uh, independent nature, uh, its uh, freedom, and in many ways, this is symbolic. I, I think there's probably no bigger development that we've seen in this whole news cycle in terms of uh, vaccination and uh, this issue of uh, threatened liberty and freedoms and also the, the health outcomes. So I know I personally just finished messaging all of my legislators, uh, state senators, and even the, our federal representatives to get behind supporting of this important initiatives. A lot of people may not know, but American Airlines and Southwest Airlines have their headquarters in Texas and many transportation companies have their headquarters in Texas. We're starting to hear some instability in the airlines right now in terms of flight can cancellations and pilot and airline flight attendant availabilities, largely because of discord over the vaccine and the great concerns that the vaccines don't work full fully enough in everyone to support and the fact they offer dangers, including thrombosis, deep venous thrombosis, and the sudden risk of death. What final words do you have for our audience today on the McCullough Report? You and I are both physicians, and the most important thing for both of us is the patient-physician relationship. And we need to uh, restore that. And the only way you restore it is for patients to trust their physicians again. Um, you know, I'm not against vaccines. Like I said, my family, my children are vaccinated for every illness. But vaccines should not be um, something that people will lose their jobs and livelihood over. That's something that they discuss with their physicians. And if they're high risk, they need a vaccine, they can decide what to do together. 
but for jobs and governments to mandate something that uh, we don't have enough information, we don't really have that much safety data on any of this. I think it's been really um, an attack against our liberty and freedom. And to me, for someone you know who survived communism and came here, the the Constitution and what it stands for means a lot. And I'm just grateful that I live in the state of Texas where people still have a choice. Dr. Lindley, thank you so much for joining us on the McCullough Report. Thank you. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report.